Book four, chapter five of Round the Block by John Belbooten. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Panorama of Africa. The three bachelors concurred in the opinion that the idea was a good one, but Marcus Wilkeson suggested that the field was too large. I thought you would like the general proposition, said Tiffles. But bless you, Mark, I don't mean to paint the whole continent from stem to stern, so to speak only the undiscovered part of central africa say from cape guardafui on the east to the bight of benin on the west but how the deuce asked matthew maltboy are you or anybody else going to paint what has not been discovered tiffles could hardly suppress a smile at the simplicity of the question why said he that's easy enough don't all the geographers tell us that the interior of africa is made up so far as known of alternate deserts and jungles like the patches on a coverlet very well i conform to this general principle of the continent i put half of the canvas in desert and the rest in jungle and i can't be far out of the way take the idea perfectly said matthew maltboy but if you have nothing but alternate deserts and jungles, it strikes me your panorama will be a little monotonous. Perhaps I am wrong. Maltboy always offered suggestions timidly. I have thought of that, and guarded against it. I shall fill the jungles with animated life. Elephants, lions, tigers, panthers, leopards, rhinoceroses, hippopotamuses, giraffes zebras crocodiles boa constrictors and other specimens of natural history indigenous to that delightful region good cried overtop and if you will take a hint from me you will show your elephants in the act of being caught by natives or engaged in combats with each other your lions fighting your tigers or your rhinoceroses your hippopotamuses engaged in death struggles with your crocodiles, and your boa constrictors gobbling down your natives, or, if that is objectionable on the score of humanity, your monkeys. Thank you for the hint, but the expense and the necessity of completing the panorama at an early day put it out of the question. To paint accurate representations of these animals engaged in their innocent sports would occupy the time of a first-class artist for months, and cost an enormous sum. Ah, I see, interrupted Overtop, who liked to show that he snatched the meaning. You will put your animals in recumbent attitudes, sleeping, perhaps, in the depth of jungles, shaded from the fierce rays of the equatorial sun. You have guessed it said tiffles with a broad smile most of them will be just there out of sight the others will be suggested rather than introduced elephants will be signified by their trunks appearing over the tops of the dense undergrowth lions tigers and other quadrupeds by the tips of their tails a boa constrictor will be expressed by a head a coil and a bit of tail showing at intervals the one horn of the rhinoceros will always tell where he is. I shall have two small legs. They are scarce in Africa, for my hippopotamuses and crocodiles. If they exhibit only small portions of their heads above the surface, that is not my fault. It is the nature of the beasts, you know. Aha! 
That is what I call art concealing art," said Overtop. "So it is," returned Tiffles; "and it will be appreciated, I doubt not, by those who affect the school of severe simplicity in painting." "One more thing," said Marcus Wilkeson. "Do you intend to take the panorama through the country, and lecture on it?" "I do. And here let me say, that I read up the law of false pretences long ago. I shall style myself Professor Wesley on the bills. That I have a right to do, as my full name doesn't look well in type. Actors and singers do the same thing every day. I shall call myself a great traveler. This is strictly true. I have been north to Boston, west to Detroit, and south to Baltimore. I shall not say that I have been in Africa, or that the sketches were taken on the spot. If my audience choose to infer that, that is their business. If any one doubts the accuracy of my panorama, I can say triumphantly, Prove it. Excellent, but a little risky, said Marcus Wilkeson, who could not help admiring the audacity of the plan. Your next great difficulty will be to satisfy audiences after you have got them together, as I dare say you will, by some brilliant system of advertising. I have heard, perhaps you have, of audiences breaking furniture, smashing chandeliers, and tarring and feathering people. All that has been thought of, was the reply. Before I leave the city, I shall give a private exhibition of the panorama to a few ministers of various denominations in the lecture-room of some uptown church. Ministers, you know, are debarred by their profession from attending the opera and theaters, and will catch at the chance to see a panorama for nothing. In private life they are capital people. As a class, I have known several of them and will willingly certify that the panorama is a highly moral, instructive, and interesting exhibition. I think I can rely on my persuasive powers for that much. These certificates I shall print on my posters and handbills. They will draw moral audiences. Moral audiences do not break furniture, etc., etc. Comprehend my line of argument? Perfectly, said Marcus and very ingenious, as an argument. I thought you would like it. And now, to drop the subject, I want you three fellows to come up to my rooms, number 121, third floor Bartholomew Buildings, Broadway. You remember, and see this great work of art early next week. Is it nearly finished? asked Marcus. Yes, in my mind's eye. That is the main thing. The painting has not yet begun. It will be a very simple matter. The canvas will be about four hundred feet long. One half of it will be a dead level of yellow paint, for desert, and the rest perpendicular stripes of green paint for jungle. A good artist, with a whitewash brush and two tubs full of paint, ought to do up the whole panorama in two days. The heads and tails of animated life and two small lakes, and a few other objects of interest, such as the sun, the moon, birds flying in the air, etc., could be put in afterward by an artist of higher grade. And, by the way, now I think of it, I may as well open with a sunrise off Cape Guardafui. 
and a distant view of the Straits of Babel Mandel, give a passing glance at the sources of the Nile, which lie in that undiscovered region, a brief glimpse at the Mountains of the Moon, and wind up with a splendid sunset in the Bight of Benin. It. Mr. Tipple's observations were cut short by the sudden entrance of Miss Philomela Wilkeson. She shot rapidly into the room, but when her eyes rested on Mr. Tiffles, she recoiled with maiden modesty and stepped back as if to beat a retreat. Then, recovering her self-possession in a small measure, she stepped forward again and said, in the blandest of tones, with just the least virgin coyness, I thought perhaps I had left my scissors here this afternoon. Messrs. Wilkeson, Overtop, and Maltboy asserted without rising from their seats that they had not seen her scissors, and doubted very much whether the scissors were in that room. But Wesley Tiffles, who was the most polite and obliging of mortals when there was a lady in the case, rose respectfully upon her entrance, and insisted upon searching the apartment for the missing tool. Miss Wilkeson, thus being placed under obligations to Mr. Tiffles, was compelled to take personal cognizance of him, which she did with the nearest approach to a blush that she was ever known to make. I beg, sir, that you will not trouble yourself. I, I do not think the scissors are here after all. That can be ascertained only by searching, miss, replied Tiffles. Then he glided about the room in his own nimble fashion, looking behind the two vases on the mantelpiece, raking over the littered burden of the table in the corner, and peering and poking into every place where there was the least likelihood of finding a stray pair of scissors, Miss Wilkeson all the while deprecating any further search. Mr. Tiffles suddenly stopped like a dragonfly in the midst of his angular dartings, and said, since your scissors are not to be found, it is fortunate that I have a pocket pair, which are always at your service. Mr. Tiffles produced the ill-omened article and handed it to her. This called out a new lot of thanks, regrets for having troubled him, apologies, and a peremptory refusal to take his scissors, immediately followed by their acceptance and a promise that she would take the best care of them and return them to the owner on his next visit. Then was the auspicious moment for Miss Wilkeson to have retired with dignity, but she stood at the door, twirling the fatal scissors in her hand, and waiting either to say something which did not come spontaneously, or to have something said to her. Marcus Wilkeson saw a subtle motive in this awkward tarrying at the door, and having no objection to gratifying it, he straightway introduced Mr. Wesley Tiffles to Miss Philomela Wilkeson. Mr. Tiffles put himself into the form of an L, like a professional acrobat, and Miss Wilkeson executed a curtsy in the old exploded style. Then, as if appalled at what she had done, she backed into the entry as fast as she had come from it. Mr. Tiffles, upon whom the small events of life made no impression, thought no more of Miss Wilkeson that evening, but smoked three pipes, told two funny stories, sang one comic song, and then went home. 
having previously extracted from the three bachelors a promise to call at his rooms and see at least one half of the panorama completed on the following day week since miss wilkeson had been an inmate of that house she had seen wesley tiffles perhaps a dozen times in the entry or on the doorsteps and had been impressed with his gentlemanlike air his quick black eyes and his deferential manner toward her every one is supposed to have a realized ideal somewhere if he or she could only find it such was wesley tiffles to philomela wilkeson let it be confessed at once the lost scissors were all the time quietly resting at the bottom of miss wilkeson's work-bag and she knew it the prevalent frailty of human nature must be her excuse she had obtained not only an introduction to wesley tiffles but a pair of scissors which must be returned to him and were therefore a bond of friendship but miss wilkeson forgot the fatality which the proverb attaches to gifts or loans of that particular article of cutlery End of book four, chapter five